when I talk to entrepreneur, I don't feel I'm an entrepreneur. I feel I'm a, a very old person. Uh, <laughs> Join the club. That used to live. That should have lived in the beginning of the 20th century. Because for me, time is everything. Taking your time, doing things well, um, searching quality, quality uh, better than uh, velocity. I think everybody is in a, in a hurry today. And when you are in a hurry, you forget the most important, like to, have, to enjoy yourself, to have pleasure in what you do, to take the time for other people to understand you and for you to understand other people. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Sebastian Kopp is the co-founder of Veja, one of the fastest growing shoe brands in the world. Founded in 2004, Veja promotes sustainability and transparency without marketing and advertising and is now found in over 60 countries. Incorporating materials such as Amazonian rubber, organic and fair trade cotton, and recycled plastic bottles, Sebastian and Veja look to transform the footwear space through better ecological practices. My first question, though, for Sebastian was interesting because originally he was a finance guy, and I wanted to know what compelled him to become an entrepreneur and start his own business. So the story is much longer than this. We were two uh, best friends from high school. and. Uh, my best friend, Francois, he went to a, a business school, one of the most famous in France. And uh, I went to the university to study economics. And we were doing, a, when we were students, we were doing a lot of projects. Like we set up a newspaper, we, uh, we a magazine, we set up, uh, we were involved in, uh, in many NGOs. So uh, it's a longer story than finance then. We worked, I worked a lot for uh, internet startups. I almost started with, uh, with Google uh, in Europe. They were hiring. Uh, I would have been the second or third employee of Google <laughs> in Europe at the time. Uh, it was like 20 years ago. Pretty and, amazing. Uh, but uh, I will say that what you've done, and uh, because I see all of your shoes all over my house, I have two daughters and a wife, has been pretty impressive. But that's pretty interesting that you were thinking or you had that opportunity with Google, but uh, you didn't take it. No. And so uh, we started in, in finance, but uh, very soon we decided not to go further because um, we were working in New York and in um, Washington, D.C. And one night we were um, at a restaurant uh, together uh, with my best friend, uh, Francois. And he asked me, do you like we're 23 years old, 24 years old? And he asked me, would you like to become your boss in one year, two years, three years? Would you like to have the, the, the life of your boss? And I said, no, I don't think so. So we decided to quit and we, uh, we set up an NGO, which was, it was in 2002. It was focused on sustainable development. It was a new subject on the table at the time. Not a lot of people were talking about it. 
But some companies were starting to talk about it to, I would say, to start tackling the, the issue. So sustainable development it was more everything that is linked to ecology, everything that is linked to social development, economic justice, etc. And so we went, we set up an NGO and we went to, uh, to meet uh, big French companies saying, okay, you're working all over the world. You have multiple issues in, uh, in many countries. We are 23 years old. We propose you to work for you at a very low price. So you don't pay us. You just pay the expenses of traveling. And it's going to be a low-cost traveling. But we can study your projects in China, in South Africa, in Mexico, in the US, in Brazil. So you have this, this, and this project linked to sustainable development. We do an audit of this project and we write a report to you to improve them. The guys, they were kind of interested because not a lot of people were talking about it. And they said, okay, let's do it. You convinced us. So we worked for Carrefour, which is the French Walmart. We worked for um, PPR, uh, which is carrying today, uh, a big uh, fashion company. We had multiple experiences. It was an amazing year. Like we were, it was crazy because we're 23, 24 years old and you find yourself in a nuclear plant in China. You find yourself in a garment and clothing factory in China. You find yourself in uh, a mine in uh, South Africa. So places that are really intense and very different of what we are used to because we're from Paris. We are kind of uh, city guys, etc. And so in 2000, 2003, it was this year that we uh, studied all those projects, we realized that um, the speech and the reality of those companies were really different. They were speaking very well, and on the field, it was a different story. So I think we had a, a good experience, a, good, a very good field experience, very wide field experience for our age. So a lot of companies tried to hire us, and we said no. We don't want to take part to this because there is the speech, communication, etc., and the reality that doesn't match. So we decided to start from nothing, from scratch, our own project. And we said, what if we create a common product, a sneaker, a product that we love, that would be made completely differently, completely, from A to Z? I want to ask you, It's pretty incredible. You guys were 23 years old. And even more so to me, at that time, sustainability was on no one's radar, especially not major corporations who were producing products in countries like China. How were you able to convince these major businesses at that young age to even? open the door and look into this? I think they were surprised of the level we had in, uh, because I did my uh, thesis at the end of university on the role of companies in sustainable development. It was in 2001. But I didn't do it as a student. I did it really thoroughly going to conferences, meeting people, interviewing people. So we had, um, I think we had a, Theories, only theories that stuck them, that they were kind of uh, amused because we were talking with the CEOs of this company. And uh, because on Google at the time, 
you could find the email, the direct email of the top management of those big French companies because French are not very good in technology, as you know. And second, they received maybe two, three emails a day at that time. It was in 2001, 2002. Yeah. Emails was not like it is today on Slack or whatever today, WhatsApp, etc. So um, the most difficult thing was to create a meeting with them and then to convince them. And for them, what we were proposing to the cost we were proposing, they said, what you are proposing, you don't, it doesn't cover the plane tickets and you work for us during one year. So they were kind of amused. They were kind of, okay, nobody wants to go there in uh, the, the HQs of this big company because we were going on field. It was kind of rough traveling. And so I think they were more amused and interested. And then uh, they were uh, surprised and uh, maybe smiling at the, um, the, the no fear we had. So I explained like this, maybe you can ask them. But, uh, and so, uh, yes, for us, it was really something that uh, structured us as adults, like to find yourself in a clothing factory in China and to realize that the workers are sleeping in a small room packed with 30 people, that the hole in the middle of the room is their shower and their toilets at the same time. What we realized during, during this study and these trips is that if people would see that, they wouldn't buy like, like they buy. If people saw that the products that are made, that the common products, the computers, the, 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 the clothing, the sneakers, your shirts, for example, if you see how it was made, maybe you wouldn't buy it like you, you buy it. And that was the beginning of Veja. That was the, the founding principles of Veja. Let's be proud of how the sneakers are made. And when you say how they are made, it covers the raw materials, it covers the threading factories, it covers the factory that produced them, it covers the, the warehouse. We did it very simply, very plainly, in a very common sense uh, way, because we didn't have the, know, the knowing of the industry. We didn't know anything about uh, how do you make a sneaker. <laughs> how did you decide on sneakers? And what was that process like of getting the business started? Sneakers, it was a product we wore. It was with our generation that the sneakers went from the sports fields to the street. So it was a, kind of a new product for our generation um, that we were wearing every day. It was also, we studied economics and we did like six, seven years of study. We knew it was a product that concentrated the most advertising in its costs, like the big brands. There is not many big brands. They lower through the years from the 70s to until uh, today, they lower the cost of production to raise the marketing and advertising costs. And in the 70s, for example, the cost of a sneaker of a big brand was 90% in production, 10% in advertising. Today, it rolled completely the opposite. So it's not completely the opposite. Like It's like 70% of advertising and 30% of production, which is 
for us in in the year 2002-2003 when we discovered this it was how can i put it it was something of um, an illness for our society like to put everything in communication to put everything in basketball players soccer players models etc that are earning millions of dollars and people in bangladesh china Vietnam earning $20 per month. So this, if you see it plainly, if you see it very coldly, for us, it's a problem. It's something that doesn't last. This injustice in society. Okay, you, everybody say, okay, but like Sebastian, society, society is, like, is like this. Inequality, it's like this. Okay, but don't we have reached a level that is ridiculous. That was the founding of Vision. I love it. And it's just incredible how far ahead of so many brands and companies within your industry and otherwise you were ahead of. And it sounds like what this really became for you and the reason you decided to start the business was you really had a mission. What was your feelings going into starting a business with a buddy, a childhood friend. We've heard about partnerships and companies and was that difficult? But you know, it was not starting a business for us. It was trying an adventure because we started Veja with uh, six, $7,000 each. And so we didn't see it as a business. We saw it as a project and we say, okay, we did very good uh, universities, business schools. We have parents that, are, that have money, not a lot, but we have a roof. If we don't try to do something different, who is going to try? We are very privileged. We have grown in, a, in very privileged uh, schools, etc. So maybe we are in the 10% or the 15% of the world most privileged people. So if we don't try to do something different, who will try? Okay, maybe we're going to fail. Maybe it's not going to work, but it's okay. Let's enjoy. Let's try. And, and everybody, all our friends, they say, okay, guys, you have thirteen or $14,000 and you want to start a sneaker brand. You're crazy. Our parents say, you're crazy. Our friends say, you're crazy. You, you have in front of you, you have Nike, Adidas, Puma, etc. You, you're completely crazy. You should do a startup like everybody. You should uh, dive into the internet like everybody. You have more chances. And we said, no, what we want to do is something very concrete. We don't want to create a website. And uh, There was no app at the time. There was not even Facebook. We don't want to, to create something like this. We want to do a product. We want to do something very concrete, very uh, even a bit old school. And so we were passionate about the product. We went in Brazil. The first time we went was in 2004, in March 2004, in the Olympic cotton fields because we wanted to do a, a canvas sneaker. And Veja is all about asking questions. Okay, we want to do a canvas sneaker, simple, like Converse or canvas sneaker. Canvas is the, the material. And, uh, and the first question is, what is canvas? Where does it come from? So canvas is cotton. What is cotton? It's a plant that grows in India, in the United States, in Brazil. And what is the problem of cotton? Is that 
It's 2% of the cultivated lands in the world, in agriculture. It's 2%, but it uses 30% of the pesticides. So maybe it makes sense to do organic cotton, a cotton without pesticides, without chemical entrance, without chemical help, I would say. So first thing when we created Veja was to go in Brazil into organic cotton fields to know what was organic cotton, to discover. Really, we have we had an idea. We read on Wikipedia. We read on the internet. I don't know. Yes, there was Wikipedia at the time. But it was very plain. Okay, let's go. Let's try to find some uh, organic cotton producers, organic cotton association, and let's go. That was the first step we did. So we spent one month, two months, with organic cotton producers. We spoke a bit of Portuguese because in Brazil they speak Portuguese. Yeah. We understood more than we spoke, but uh, we understood, we understood. I think, let's say 50%, 40% of what was said. So we were struggling a bit, but it was super interesting to discover agriculture, organic cotton in the field. So we went to see one cooperative, two cooperatives, three, four, five, six, seven, traveling in bus. And we found a crazy project of 30 farmers, uh, super low income. They didn't sell cotton for um, when we met them for six years, but they were cultivating, I think, the most advanced organic cotton in the world. It's called today, the American people, they call it regenerative uh, cotton. But at the time, we called it uh, agroecological cotton, which it goes further than organic cotton. It's a bit complicated, so I'm not going to dive into this. So we discovered, we didn't know anything, and we discovered on field, uh, and then we found a factory that was making shoe, and then we went to Amazonia because we said, how can we do the soles of the sneakers? Today, it's only plastic. What material could replace plastic? Okay, rubber was used in the converse of the 50, 60... Uh, uh, 60s in the 20th century. So maybe we could use rubber, which is which comes from a tree and which grows in Amazonia in the forest. So we went to Amazonia. But you know, it was very innocent. It was traveling, discovering, and we had one chance in 1,000 times to, to find what we were looking for. It sounds like... You know, when you look at this and traveling around the world and then going to the Amazon where you were able to find a sustainable product to build your shoes, it's pretty amazing that you were able to do this. But but then you actually, as you said, this this was a mission, this was more, but then you had to start this business and you had to start producing and selling. Was there ever a time during that Time frame that you thought, hey, maybe I should have taken that job at Google, or maybe this is something that might be too difficult? <laughs> no, um, regret like this, we didn't have problems, big problems 10 times a day at the time and during a long, long time. So, but you know, it was not a business for us, it was a quest. It was really something almost impossible, but so enjoyable living it, like going to the forest, meeting rubber tappers, talking to them, saying, okay, guys, we want to, to buy um, your rubber, which is an exceptional rubber because it's not planted. It's from the forest, from trees that are growing widely in the forest. 
for us, it was a product that nobody had. It was incredible because the rubber it comes from plantation in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Thailand. Uh, and today it's called synthetic rubber because there is 90% of plastic and 10% of rubber planted. But for us, we wanted to do soils with 90%, 80% of wild rubber. So we said, guys, the market price is, let's say, two reals, which is maybe uh, at the time it was um, seven, 70 cents of a dollar. We can buy this rubber for five reais. Uh, we can buy the, the, this rubber for 10 reais, like uh, two, three times the market price, because it's something that nobody sees and nobody has. And they didn't believe us. They say, who are those guys that are young? They don't speak Portuguese. They or they speak like uh, really like uh, very badly. <laughs> and and so um, they didn't trust us. But the second time we came, the trust we gained. The third time we came, we gained trust. And we were going like we we're almost living in Brazil, like structuring the project. But I didn't know if, if it was possible still. Then came production. So we spent, I spent months inside the factory learning shoes, learning Portuguese, learning how, how they were making shoes, joking with the team every day, taking part, but like I was an intern, you know? And they said, we never saw the boss of a brand staying with us inside the factory every day from seven o'clock to four o'clock in, in the afternoon. We never saw that. And I said, but it's normal. It's not a brand, it's the project. We, we don't know anything about anything. And so, what you can feel from the beginning of Veja and what stayed with us is the field. Like we are field oriented. When uh, we create a new ecological material, we don't have interest in the pitch. We don't have interest in what it said to us. We said, okay, you are developing, uh, let's say, an uh, ecological alternative to leather. Okay, we come in. Where is the factory? Oh, it's in uh, Italy. Okay. Uh, next week, we are with you. We go and can we stay one week to to see how it works and uh, and then you use to do this uh, this ecological uh, alternative to the ladder. You use material. Where does it come from? Can we go? Can we go? Okay, you use raw materials from let's say South Africa. Okay, we will go to South Africa to check. And the guys they always say no, but we never went. We just buy from an agent mm. from uh, from somebody, and all the fun. In Veja is to go to check to see, and when I say to see Veja in Portuguese, it means look. It means go. <laughs> you know, it's amazing because it it's basically going back to what you and Francois were doing for those companies all those years prior, and how it now was you for your product. So it must have seemed natural. And I know you you called it or have called it a project, but it's a big business now. When was the point where you knew this was a big business? This was something that we could take all over the world? Oh, no, it was not like this. It was um, for us, we produced, the first production was 5,000 pairs. So to finance those 5,000 pairs to produce, to buy the rubber, to buy, I think it was two tons of rubber and two tons of organic cotton. So we went to a bank and we did a, a loan, like the old times. We did a loan of 50,000 euros. So one bank 
kicked us out. The second bank kicked us out. The third bank kicked us out. And the fourth bank, they say, okay, you are setting up a business in Brazil, one of the most risky country in the planet. In fashion, one of the most risky business in the planet. You talk about fair trade. So you are half communists. Uh, <laughs> and the guy, he said, I know you won't make it, but you're nice. Your project is nice. You convinced me. I give you the loan. I know I will lose everything, but I give you the loan and try. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's an amazing story. And I was talking to a really successful entrepreneur actually last night, and we were talking about getting funding for businesses and loans. And banks have much more regulations. But when it comes to VCs or funding, he said, it always comes down that the person who really is making the decision really likes the person he's dealing with or she's dealing with. And it's pretty incredible. And just what you just said right there in terms of that confirmation, that must have been a really exciting moment for you when this person did say yes, and you were able to then go produce shoes. Yeah, but you know, everything was, uh, and everything still is super exciting. Huh? All the moments, uh, we live it with a uh, 200%. And um, that's what people say, that there is a lot of intensity in what we do always. But we are, Guilain, uh, Francois, my partner and I are super different, but super intense uh, in a different way. And so uh, for us, it's always like this. And it's, uh, we have, um, today you, you said it's, uh, to answer your last question, it's, uh, it's a big business, but we come from nothing. We come from producing 5,000 pair of shoes and we didn't grow like crazy. We, uh, we were, the hindrance of growth was there was not enough organic cotton to grow. So we grew with the producers and we knew that the second year of Veja, we can produce. So we delivered the 5,000 pairs and they were gone in one week. And all the clients, they said, okay, can, can we have more? And we say, okay, you have to wait six months. And they said, no, we want them now. No, sorry, you have to wait six months. And so this slowness of growing was super good for us because uh, we were limited. So we had like a, a quota that we cannot produce more. And the guys say, oh, no, go to India to look for organic cotton. And we say, no, no, we want to do everything in Brazil, everything located in one place, because if not, we're going to lose ourselves. We want, we want Brazil. And so today it's big, but we took our time. Today it's 500 people in the team. Our team is super strong because a lot of the managers, leading people, they are with us, with us for 10 years. So they grew with us. And we grew with them. So it's a different approach to time. Today, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I don't feel I'm an entrepreneur. I feel I'm a, a very old person. Uh, <laughs> Join the club. That used to live, that should have lived in the beginning of the 20th century. Because for me, time is everything. Taking your time, doing things well, searching quality better than velocity. I think everybody is in a, in a hurry today. And when you are in a hurry, you forget the most important, like to have, to enjoy yourself, to have pleasure in what you do, to take the time for other people to understand you and for you to understand other people. 
maybe it's a bit uh, innocent what I said, but uh, Forest Veja, it's what I said to investors that said, but like, what do you, what don't you sell Veja? I said, no, we don't want to sell Veja. Veja, we put our lives, we put what we believe in inside Veja. It's our life, so it's not for sale. It's what we what we like to do. You know, I love how you mentioned that in terms of the beginning of the 20th century. And it it's really interesting for me myself as an entrepreneur and now building another business. And maybe it's just that I'm American and I live in New York City, but it's about go from one. And, you know, you really made me realize like enjoying the journey, enjoying. And we created a it's a podcast company that creates podcasts for companies and brands. And it's, it's taken off. And I'm always like, go, go, go. And, you know, when you said that, just to enjoy it, especially as I get older now, my early fifties, what's the point in terms of not enjoying it? And it seems like that's always been the culture. Even when you told me like you wanted to take it slow in my mind, I was like, you know, I know I would be like frantic to like go to India to go, but you stayed true to your roots and you've become this incredibly successful business, which to me is awesome and super impressive. And I mean, it must feel good. It feels natural, meaning that Veja could be 10 times bigger, but I think we would be 10 times less happier <laughs> because, you know, Having a, like we're 25 and we had a team of 10. Today we are 44 and we have a team of 500 and it's okay. But if we had 5,000, it would be another story. We wouldn't be ready because we learn so much in contact with uh, everybody every day. And we take so much time for everybody to be happy to, uh, or to try everything to, uh, for them to be happy. That it's a lot of energy. Okay. But it's a lot of, serenity also and trust and building for the future and building together and everybody contributing you know you so, know it's a big business now the way you look at it are you able personally to still because i am sure tons of things come up employees dealing with concerns and business and are you able to and if so how have you been able to maintain your serenity? I think, I think I'm somebody that is not stressed at all. Never somebody who loves to struggle. That struggle is not a fear or it's like um, something I like. But it's a strange, I have to say it's a strange company today because there can be a new intern and I'm having lunch with, uh, with him or her, with, uh, with my team, and we talk. And it's really my job today changed a bit. My job today is to be sure that everybody is at the right place with the resources and the, the capacity to, to grow to wherever she or he wants to go. That's my new job today. So I'm everywhere. It must be a bit difficult to work with me because I'm here and then I'm there and then I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. So, and talking about the others, talking about the, the members of the team is the most difficult thing for me because I don't have these rights. They can talk 
for themselves, but I don't, I don't, I can't say they are happy or not. We try. We, that's my job. To like we uh, we have a new office in Paris that I I pushed super hard to create. We took one year of architecture designers working uh, all together to create th this place. We did the same in Brazil. We did the same in Sao Paulo. Uh, new office. My job is for them to be happy, and then a big part of my job is uh, designing uh, new sneakers. Also, you said you rarely stress, which is incredibly hard for any entrepreneur in any business. I love it. I'm the exact opposite. I wish <laughs> I, I wish I was much less. Any is that ingrained in you and how? you've always been or is that something you've been able to teach yourself as you've gone on and maybe seen the world i don't know maybe uh, we are not very stressed because we don't think we are grown-ups maybe we know that everything is very is very fragile and that veja is a, a big success today with a I think that the, the people are super happy to discover it and to rediscover it and to dive into projects and to realize what we what we are doing. But we know that everything is very fragile and that Veja tomorrow, maybe there is no Veja anymore, but we will do something else. So we have a responsibility with the people we work with, but we have the responsibility also to create a partnership that is enjoyable that is uh, so for example taking rubber tappers from amazonia to paris we did it two months ago and so it was the first time they were going out of the forest it's something incredible it's something it's a moment that you cannot buy that you cannot pretend and we don't talk about it you know we're not very good we're not very modern we're not very good in instagram and all these social networks and TikTok, etc. We are maybe the less documented company in the world, but that's always the, the talk I have with all my friends that are working in cinema, etc. They say you should you should film, Sebastian. You should film what you do. And I say no, I don't want a camera. I want to talk with the people. I don't want a camera between me and uh, so maybe we have a camera between you and me today <laughs> because we are forced to. Uh, but uh, I don't want filming i want to live so that's maybe a way not to stress and the best way not to stress is to do also maybe our cure is to achieve is to go further is to not stop it's to uh, always try to do uh, never be satisfied and always try to go uh, further always see the uh, the imperfection in something and try to correct it etc that's the way not to stress for us I think if I have to intellectualize it. No, thank you for playing my psychiatrist today. And <laughs> definitely, definitely going to take some of those thoughts, but it really, it really is true. I loved how you just said, like, even though you have this massive, big business, if it's not there tomorrow, I'll find something else. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you a couple last questions. One is I've seen your shoes, plenty of pairs, first off, in my house, but all over New York City. And I would say I noticed it in the last two or three years, maybe. What is that accurate 
from the growth from here? Yeah, we, we started we started to sell in the US because we refused during years and years to sell in the US because we didn't have the production. So we said to the clients, we don't have enough. Please come back next year. Please come back next year. Please come back next year. And so we started in 2015, I think, to sell in the US, but step by step with one client. One of the first clients was Keith, which is a sneaker store, very famous sneaker store in, in New York. And so we grew step by step, you know, but as we don't do any advertising, it's complicated to explain why it's working. I think people like the design first because we don't design a lot of sneakers. We design maybe one model every year, one new model every year. It takes one or two years to develop one. Maybe so we, we give a lot of attention to every model we do. So my explanation would be the design. People like it without knowing the brand, even sometimes. And then... I don't know why. I don't know why uh, the US uh, took off like this. I don't. We don't have an explanation, a, a real explanation. We don't have because we don't do marketing or advertising. So, so I think the design and the maybe the stores we sell to, maybe they presented super well and yeah, and so people found them. I happen to live on the next block where that store is. Okay, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to walk by it to work a few blocks away every day. And it is very unique in terms of their style and what they offer. And I know some of the people there said they're going to love that you had brought that up. Lastly, before I let you go, if you were starting a business again today, would you go back into the same business that you started in footwear, or would you do something different? Oh, no, I would do something completely different. But yes, starting a business, I wouldn't be able to start a, a business, but yeah, to start a new project, a new quest, a new, I think something that um, I look for would be better. But maybe, yes, to do something completely different, write, write a book uh, and not about Bejan, <laughs> uh, but uh, do something completely different. I admire very much people who have many lives and many different lives That's, that goes from being an artist to an entrepreneur to a doctor. I would like, if I have to have a second life, I would, I would love to do something completely different. Completely. Awesome. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for taking time today and appreciate you coming on How Success Happens and best of luck to you. Now, at least every time, which is a lot, I spot those Beja shoes, I'm going to be thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Have a, a super nice weekend. You too. Bye-bye. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. 
How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.